Hey, Slingers, welcome to another week of the Word Slinger Podcast. Now, if you needed to know how to run a crime scene for a scene in your book, where would you turn? I got the answer for you. Stick around. We're going to be talking to Jeff Simon right after this. It's the Word Slinger Podcast, where story matters. Build your brand. Write your book. Redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours? Now, here's the guy who invented pants optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the word slinger. Word slinger. Well, I am Kevin Tomlinson, the word slinger. Thank you for tuning in for another week of the Word Slinger podcast. Um, now, if you've followed me for any length of time, you probably know I'm a big fan of certain types of resources. I am also a huge fan of today's guest, uh, Jeff Simon. Now, he's a forensic expert and uh, with uh, a great background. You're going to love this guy's personal history and professional history. Um, but he wrote a series of books that were titled um, Forensics for Writers. And uh, these books are, uh, are Forensics for Fiction, rather. I'm sorry, Jeff. Uh, forensics for Fiction. These books are uh, geared around telling you how, like, uh, certain forensic operations are handled in the field, uh, how a crime scene is set up, uh, how uh, blood spatter is ana- analyzed, uh, things like that. So now some of this may seem kind of gory to some of you, and I apologize if, uh, if that is the case. You might want to tune out now. Actually, we don't talk about anything disgusting or gross uh, that I recall <laughs> in this interview. But these are uh, amazing resources. They're very well written. They're uh, accessible. Um, there's three guides, and they're, they're fantastic reads. So if you write thrillers in particular, but really, if you write anything, uh, Jeff's husband writes romance novels, and he uses these uh, this same information in some of his stories. So you never know when this sort of thing is going to come in handy. Uh, and I really like the sort of, you know, as I said, accessible, uh, approachable way that Jeff handled the material. I don't think he goes into too much gory detail, really. Um, it's actually quite cool. It's a gr- it's a great inside look into how forensics works. Uh, and getting it right, because, you know, TV and movies and that sort of thing, that's where we get most of our experience with this, and it doesn't always get it right. So, um, I think you're going to enjoy this interview, and uh, definitely check out these books. Um, you'll find links to these in the show notes of the episode, but we're not going to hold you back any longer. Let's get to the scene of the crime with Jeff Simon talking about forensics for fiction. And stick around. I'm going to talk about some stuff that is wordslinger related. Uh, give you some insight on uh, eh, the goings on and maybe some things that are happening in the uh, industry. So stuff like that. So stick around for that. Otherwise, enjoy this interview with Jeff Simon. I'll see you on the other side. Hey, thank you for sticking around through the intro. And today I'm chatting with a guy that uh, I'm really happy actually that I've I've connected with this guest. Um, I, uh, as you know, I write thrillers for a living. Um, part of a living anyway. Uh, that's the bulk of my living. And uh, one of the things that uh, thrillers have to deal with pretty frequently are things like crime scenes, police procedure, uh, even the odd autopsy here and there. And uh, finding resources, I've found plenty of great resources over the years uh, to help me with that stuff. But finding something uh, that was accessible and enjoyable, uh, even fun uh, to consume, to read and have on hand, that's been kind of a challenge. But my guest today 
took care of that for us. I'm talking to Jeff Simon. He's the author of Forensics for Fiction. Uh, that would be this book and at least two others. And I'm hoping there's more on the way, Jeff. So welcome to the show. Thanks for, thanks for uh, being on. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. And yes, so, there are more on the way. <laughs> I figured, man. You, you know, reading through these, I get the sense that, okay, there's a lot more than you can actually get through in these three thin volumes. So uh, I expect there will be a lot more. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, uh, okay, let's, let's get in, because you've got a, a pretty impressive background, actually. You're a federal forensic investigator. Um, tell us what that means. Well, I've been uh, I've been very fortunate in my career. It uh, it is a career that uh, I happened upon uh, back when the dinosaurs ruled the earth, and so I got in very early. Um, so I like to say I was forensics before forensics was cool. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I uh, I've been with the uh, with the U.S. government as a federal agent for twenty some odd years now, and uh, and my primary focus is forensic investigations. And what, is, what does that break down to for those who may not know? Like me, maybe I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Um, it's, it's evolving. Um, like, you know, if I, if I go back to the joke, I was forensic before forensics was cool. When yeah. I got in uh, under the banner of forensics, forensic, forensics was much more of a, of a general field. And when I, what I mean by that is, is there were few of us to do a lot of things. And so we sort of became jack of all trades mm -hmm. in the forensic arena. But now forensics has become very uh, specified. And so it's a little bit different than when I got my training. So I have, I have a little bit of experience and knowledge in, in, quite, a different, uh, in quite a few different uh, forensic avenues. But uh, today, if you were to ask someone if they're in forensics and they say yes, they, they are specifically trained. So they're either like an evidence technician or a lab technician, or they have specified training in blood spatter analysis or they work in the medical side of things. Um, and, and they all work together as opposed to having one person with all that knowledge. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. It's, uh, that's interesting because, um, we tend, well, on TV, in, on TV and in movies, you know, forensic specialists can do practically anything, uh, even, and we can, hack world computers and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I'm not going to doubt you at all. Uh, yeah, so that's interesting. So what have you had to specialize uh, in your career at all? I have had uh, some opportunities to specialize. Uh, my first job uh, with Department of Justice, I specialized in crimes against children. And so, okay. uh, and so those type of cases involve the, any sort of assault, physical or sexual, or neglect, or kidnappings, or child pornography or anything along those lines. Right. Um, my next big job in forensics was actually with Department of Defense in which I was with the Armed Forces Medical Examiner's Office. And uh, in that job, I, I got hands-on experience with autopsies and, uh, and the, the, what, what a medical examiner does and that sort of thing. So as far as that's concerned, um, yeah, I've had, I've had jobs where I've been able to specialize, but I've also been sent for specialized training um, such that like I'm, uh, I am a uh, blood spatter an uh, analyst. So um, I've, had, I've had many, uh, many opportunities which I've been uh, very grateful for. Yeah, blood spatter is fascinating. <laughs> I, I'm I just going to throw is. that out there. Uh, just look, start, so your book is, is, forgive the expression, illuminating uh, quite a bit uh, on that topic, but I was already kind of interested in it from various uh, other uh, sources, and it, it just 
there's so much more to that than you would think. <laughs> I agree. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, well, well, we can get off on that. Now, one one thing I did want to ask you about, man, because you are by all indications, whenever I, so you, we, we connected on Facebook, which I'm very grateful for. Every time I see you post, you're, you're actually quite positive and upbeat, uh, considering what you deal with on a daily basis. I, I, how do you do that? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you. <laughs> um, how do I do that? You know, I think that that can translate to a question I get asked an awful lot when I'm, when I'm out doing my, my teachings. And that is, well, well, how do you deal with the job you have? Is it, is it a switch you turn on and off? And that, that is a question I actually have a difficult time answering because I don't really know the specific answer to it. It's not like a switch that I turn on and off. And, right. I, you know, now I'm dealing with, with something that's gory. Now I'm, now I'm dealing with something that's fluffy and fun. But, um, but in a way, it, it is sort of that. Uh, it's sort of, if I can use the pun, I'm, I'm a punter, by the way, just so you're worried. All right, we're, we're going to go on just fine. <laughs> so, you know, it does bleed into my, into my normal life in that I don't normally love to go watch the uh, uber violent or overly bloody movies. That's just, right. I feel like I have it in my job. I, for some reason, I don't want it in my entertainment. Um, but I think because I started my career off with a focus on ch crimes against children, um, what I learned very early on is it's a situation in which I'm doing a job. And I don't mean to make it sound sterile, but mm -hmm. I am there for a child, a child right. who is literally in a no-win situation. Because if I do nothing, the child still remains in the only love that that child's ever known but is in a dangerous situation. And if I get involved, although for the adults, I'm taking that child out of a dangerous situation, I'm also yanking that child away from any love that, that, that he or she has ever known. Yeah. And so I have to focus that I am an agent for that child and my emotions really can't get involved at that point because I'm not doing the child any good if I do that. And I think that sort of applies across the board when we're dealing with different criminal investigations, whether it's, it's an arson or a death or whatever it, out it is, you know, you're there for the victim. And so you've got to put your job ahead of anything else. And yeah. that's sort of how you do it. I like, I like, I like that approach. I, I like what you're saying. I, uh, of course, to a much, much less degree, lower degree, uh, you know, as thriller writers, we end up exposing ourselves to this stuff, you know, quite a bit. Of course. Uh, yes. And, and one of the things I've, I've struggled with is sometimes my, sometimes my thoughts get a little dark. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and so that's one of those things. It's like, well, how do I, you know, step back from that? So I, but I think, you know, in terms of, uh, it, what you're saying doesn't necessarily directly apply, but if I think of it in terms of I'm, you know, I'm, I am performing some sort of service with the story, maybe I can, maybe that would help. I don't know. Yes, and I also think that, at least on the writer side of thing, there's a there's a line that you guys you guys um, sort of walk, and it's I think it's an important line because there's a the job in a the writer's job is entertainment, and of course a lot of this stuff in the real world is not entertaining, and so you you walk this line between am I am I doing this topic justice or am I over glamorizing it right. and and there's real respect for people who can, who can navigate that line. If I'm making sense. 
No, I, yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's, it's, uh, I think the term I hear a lot is, is turn, well, basically trying to turn it into porn, you know, it's, it's, uh, in a way I agree. Yeah. 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 Um, so, okay. Well then, you know, I didn't, that, I, I feel like I turned us down a dark path there. Uh, <laughs> we'll move well, back this, this became chipper awfully quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but these are things, and the, I know that if I've got this question, someone else has this question. So I don't feel too bad about it. Um, so you, uh, now you say in the foreword of at least one of the books, and I don't remember which one. Uh, maybe you say it in all of them, and, I, and I'm only glossing it over, but that you, your wife is a writer as well, right? Actually, husband, but husband, yes. I'm so sorry. That is and not a problem. That's the sort of assumptions guys like me make. Absolutely, know? that's not a problem. <laughs> your 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 spouse, your husband, uh, is also a writer. Does does he write um, uh, thrillers or something else? He he's an interesting one, actually. Um, yeah, he's been a writer for over 20 years. Uh, he started off uh, on with uh, writing for stage and graduated to film and. Uh-huh and sort of wrote a novel on a dare um, and found out that he absolutely loved it. And okay. so he started writing novels. And just recently, he's taken this 20-plus years of writing, and he started this, um, uh, this series on helping writers on, on right. how to write. So, so it's hard to say what he writes because he's written some very dark plays. Um, his right. novels are romantic novels. They're, they're in the romance genre. Okay. Um, but I mean, he, he bounces back and forth to, from like a, a paranormal story to a contemporary story to, to whatever else. Um, I seem to, th- I seem to think they're all really great, but uh, <laughs> of course, well, I would hope so, man. I mean, my wife doesn't always think everything I write is great. <laughs> She's at least supportive. Uh, so uh, you you got into this. You where I was leading with that was that you got into this. You decided to write these books um, because you saw that need in the community. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. What I got into these books because he would keep he would consistently ask me questions. You know, is this is this <laughs> how it works in the real world? How, how do you dispose of a body? And how many stabs? And and uh, we were we would joke about that. And then he said, you know, why don't you dig into this a little bit because you have this wealth of knowledge that really could benefit writers. And so I started looking into what was out there and don't get me wrong. There's some, there are some great reference books out there. I don't want to take that away from anybody, but on the whole, what I found at least for the forensic side of things is you could either get way too technical, like a textbook on these things, or it borders on fluff. And I wanted there to be realism but you know, have access to terminology and how procedures are actually done, but not bury you in in everything that's technical about the field. And so, I think when you say there, there you can kind of sense that there's there's more to what I'm putting on the page. That's part of it because I want it accessible for writers, but I also want it to be legit for writers. Yeah. So well, that's sort of how it happened is because he sort of pushed yeah. me in that direction. You you hit both those marks. Um, well, with these, I, w- I will tell you, uh, they're enjoyable. Um, and, and, you know, I'm fascinated by this stuff anyway, so maybe that's part of it. Uh, and, but I'm that guy who goes to used bookstores looking for 
you know, used forensics and criminology and, you know, those textbooks, I'll buy those books and, and read those books. So, uh, but this was much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. But uh, yeah, I'm one of those people too. So I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're just, we're, we have chronic issues. You and I, we, we have, uh, a, we have a few issues. <laughs> So uh, beyond uh, your work, I mean, was there anything that informed you uh, when it came to writing these? Was Did you have resources and everything beyond just your job? Um, yes, I, w I would I would say yes. I put a lot of research into these. I have a, uh, I'm, I don't write on anything that I don't already have a knowledge on that I don't have experience with, um, or at least I haven't yet. But I still want to make sure that I'm current and that um, – my way is not necessarily the only way. So I, I do right. do a lot of research. I reach out, I reach out to um, uh, coworkers and compatriots uh, in, in the different fields. Um, I see what the textbooks are currently. I, I try to see if there are any um, uh, references for writers currently. And I, and I didn't bring it all together. And, and just, like I said, just, I try to present in a way that's uh, my, my biggest goal is I have two goals, both accessibility and validity. Yeah. Um, just to make sure everything I tell you is accurate. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm checking you. I'm checking you against what, <laughs> what I encounter. <laughs> please do. <laughs> because they're all wrong, by the way. But well, no, I'm kidding. here's the thing that one of the things that I, I really enjoyed, and that right now I'm reading your, your uh, crime scenes uh, book. And this it's is a topic. How's that? In Starbucks, I hear. In Starbucks, in, in places that, I've, I, I'm on a watch list. I'm convinced I'm on some kind of watch list. Um, but uh, this is the one I'm reading right now. And uh, what's interesting to me is it's covering topics that I, I might not even have thought to ask about because uh, I get, you know, I get the sort of general forensics kind of thing you know, enough that I, I, I kind of have a basic understanding, uh, enough that I could write it on the page and make it seem believable I will assume no one has called me out on it yet. You're not allowed to read my books. Uh, and also I write archeological thrillers primarily. So this stuff factors in only at a very small level. So I'm safe, but uh, there are things in, in this book, just little things like uh, the, how to mark a crime scene, for example, that I wouldn't have even thought to ask about, you know, marking evidence at a crime scene. And that's that right there is my purpose. Um, yeah. I, I try to make a real point in my blood spatter book that blood spatter doesn't have to only apply to the horror stories. Right. I mean, it can apply to fairy tales because, you know, sleeping beauty pricked her finger. Right. And so how does a, a drop of blood work? And so, sure. Uh, the way we search a scene could be very, very similar to, an archaeological dig and how you're looking for your evidence that yeah. thing. And that's exactly and, what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All of this, man, I, I tell you, I'm not, like I say, I'm not really a crime writer, although I'm kind of, I'm doing, I'm thinking about dabbling. Uh, but what I'm getting out of it, I think is fairly universal for anyone who writes. Well, anything, Honestly, I mean, uh, short of uh, fluffy, you know, maybe fluffy bodice ripper romance, Although, who knows? I mean, who knows? I'm not going to limit anybody. Go do what you're going to do. Uh, well, what's interesting is a good portion of my, uh, of my talks to writers are writers of the romance genre. Is that right? That's and why, why do you right. think that is? Um, 
I think it started out because of my in to that world because of Damon, but, um, but I just feel that there is actually a huge interest Mm -hmm. in these, in these topics. And, you know, um, I think every genre has the subgenre, and then you can take that subgenre in many different directions. So when, (laughs) when you're dealing with paranormal romance, um, a lot of the authors want to know, well, what happens when my werewolf bites into somebody or, if, yeah. you know, if, right. if, if you have any sort of blood or if you have a crime scene, if, if your romance deals with law enforcement in a, at any sort of level, then maybe crime scenes applies. Yeah. And so I, I find that interesting. I have a lot of crime writing and thriller writing groups that, that request me as well. But a, yeah. a big portion of, of the authors who, who come to my talks are, are romance writers. That is really, uh, that's fascinating and also somehow frightening to me. And yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, I know a lot of romance writers, a lot because of the line of work I'm in, you know, uh, writing, but also the stuff I do with draft digital and that sort of thing. And I, uh, I end up talking to thousands of romance writers, more than I ever thought could possibly exist. Uh, and they, they can be intense people. So knowing that they know how to get away with murder is a li- just a little frightening. That, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now, have you considered writing fiction yourself? Have you thought about that? I have had many a uh, publisher come up to me and say, listen, when you're ready to write your book, and um, I'm hesitant. I don't... Mm-hmm. I don't consider myself a writer and I should be careful saying that because if, if anyone is diligent enough and wants to learn any, I, I, I can't say we're all writers, but anyone should be able to have that opportunity. Um, and it's just, uh, I don't know that I'm ready yet because, um, I'm going to give away a trade secret and I apologize, but, uh, Writing is hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? We're trying to we're trying to indoctrinate people into this thing. Uh, no, so right. I mean, even I do nonfiction, and in my mind, nonfiction should just be you know I vomit out a bunch of facts, and then I make them look pretty so they fit on a page, and there there's a nonfiction book. And I'm sorry, writing is hard, mm-hmm. and so when I don't have the, uh, the structure of having <laughs> just facts to relate, but I have to deal with character development and actually character arcs and plots. Right. And, right. I mean, I, I don't hate myself that much. As well. <laughs> you could co-author you and your yeah, husband yeah. can actually pull something together and uh, work on it together. Well, and then if you're living with a successful author, there's no pressure there either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah i hear you man i uh I, I i mean my wife is not a writer um although she kind of aspires to be and i i try to encourage her to do it i think she gets intimidated um but uh you know i've worked with other writers that i that i knew for a fact were far better than me and uh <laughs> it kind of puts the pressure on so all right so you um other than uh writing uh and t- and you 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 speak about this quite a bit you teach courses about this do you do you do something uh official like you a part of a university program or something or do you uh just speak at conferences and that sort of thing before i taught at conferences before i even got into the forensics for fiction world um i i did teach at university for a while i i spoke at the front i taught at the forensics program at george washington university in dc um and fell in love with with teaching i absolutely love it and so 
when this whole concept of forensics for fiction came about, um, it was a very small step to take to start looking into these conferences to see if, um, if there was an interest in my teachings live. Right. And, um, and my teachings have, have sort of, um, sort of grown. So now I'm doing, um, uh, p- uh, panels at conferences. I'll do uh, mm. lectures at, at conferences. I'll be brought into different writing groups specifically and give a talk. And I also am doing online courses. Uh, so um, it's interesting to see what needs are out there and you know what people are interested in. So yeah, have you? I'm not trying to lure you away from it, but I mean, have you ever have you thought about transitioning? I mean, it sounds like you got plenty of work. Would you Would you ever leave the? Uh, you know, your job as a, f- a federal forensic investigator and, and do this? Well, work? eventually I will, but, but yeah. uh, I, I have, a, I have a, an agreement I have to abide by. And that agreement okay. was, I'll go ahead and do the nine to five or whatever and make the money up through my retirement. But after okay. that, there better, there better be some books sold for <laughs> after retirement. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I will eventually leave, but uh, that'll be for retirement. Yeah. Hey, that's all cool, man. I, I, like I said, I wouldn't want to encourage you because I think it's the, there's something to be said um, for and clearly clearly you're passionate about the field itself. Um, so why why leave? You would you would probably feel like you were ampu- you had an arm amputated or something. So. Yeah, I do have to agree with that. I again, I'm very fortunate, but I am I am a person who loves his job, and I found a job that that I am passionate about, and so. Um, I feel very fortunate about that. I don't take that for granted. What, what, what drew you to the, the field in the first place? That is a hilarious story. If we've got a second, <laughs> yeah, we've got time <laughs> because what I say, at least 20 minutes, I got a cup of coffee. You, you go do what you got to do. I'll be right here. When I say that this job fell into my lap, that's exactly what I mean. Um, because I, uh, my first government job was with the state department, which is to say I was working at the U S embassy in Korea, but it's not as glamorous as it sounds. I was an administrative person. I did filing. That is all I did. And uh, as I would learn later when I had my job with the Armed Forces Medical Examiner's Office, if you are a U.S. citizen and you are stationed, for lack of a better word, overseas and you die, and you're working for Uncle Sam and you die, um, your remains belong to the, the U.S. government. And so the next of kin doesn't have any say, Uncle Sam will require an autopsy. And that's, that's just a logistical reason to protect uh, the U.S. government so that five years down the road, you know, Aunt Sally can't claim there was some sort of cover-up and everything like that. We're going to go ahead and have the autopsy, document everything. And so uh, there was a, a U.S. airman who died on a U.S. airbase over there in Korea. And the only place in the Asian theater that they do off, that the U.S. does autopsies is Okinawa, okay. and so those remains needed to be transported from Korea to Okinawa. And I was the newest one in country, and I was the one who was volunteered to uh, transport those those remains. And so I didn't want to do it. Um, I, I laugh when I tell this story because my college roommate still makes fun of me. Uh, about this time because I was the kid who wouldn't in college wouldn't watch Terminator because oh my goodness a robot takes his eye out that's just disgusting <laughs> and so <laughs> and so here I am now with human remains and I yeah. had to uh, I had to sign for the remains and physically be with the remains all the way through autopsy until I signed them off and so I went to 
I went to this autopsy and the pathologist there, uh, I think saw that I was apprehensive and did the best thing for me he could do. And that is he, uh, he got me busy. He said, uh, go write this down, go weigh this, go do that. Gave me little, little tasks that I could have, that I could do. And I did task after task, after task, after task. And the next thing I know it was over. He said, thank you very much. You can go back to Korea. And I was like, all right, that's done. Right. And I go back to Korea to live my life. And about six months later, I get a call from this pathologist and he says, listen, the government's starting up a forensics program. Uh, they're looking for, uh, people who may be interested, uh, to join. Uh, if you're selected, you'll be sent to school. And he said, so if you want to put a package together, I will back it. And I, I was like, okay, free school. Um, yeah, yeah, no <laughs> so I put the package together, he backed it and I didn't realize quite the, the status this doctor had at the time. Cause I didn't know anything about forensics and his backing got me through. And, and I, next thing I know I'm in school for forensics. So that's how it fell in my lap. When I taught at George Washington University, the number one question I got was, how do I get to do what you do? And I, yeah. I feel terrible because I can't tell you. I, I mean, go wait for a dead body. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so it's, it, it literally, it was because I was in the right place at the right time because I did not go to school for forensics before the government sent me. I, uh, I was not pursuing any sort of medical or law enforcement. I was just, you know, doing my files. Yeah. You realize that your life is a thriller novel, right? I mean, you, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> you don't have to write any fiction, just write a journal. <laughs> yeah, I'm, starting, I'm starting to feel a whole new meaning for the word sleeper agent. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I hear you. Yeah. That's uh well, that's man. That's awesome though. I mean, you know, we, it's incredible when something, an opportunity like that falls in your lap. It, it, I think it's one thing for the opportunity to come along. Another thing for someone to recognize it as that opportunity, uh, because uh, it sounds like you weren't necessarily thinking of that as a career path at the time. Uh, but it, that one experience sparked the interest or was it just the offer sounded too good to pass up? A little of both. Um, I, I not sure I really knew what I was doing back then. And so I, I sort of jumped at the opportunity and it, it just married up very well. It was something that I found a passion for. So, yeah, yeah. that's fantastic, man. I mean, it's a, it's one of those careers that uh, you, you think you, I think most of us think they may not actually exist. Like they're only, they only exist in TV. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool. So uh, what kind of training do you go through though? What is it? Um, I mean, you, I assume you would have to learn to perform an autopsy and, you know, so there's some medical st training in that I'm, I'm guessing. So there, there is some medical training, actually the best way to describe forensics, it is, it is the middle section where, uh, the medical field, the law enforcement field and the legal field all sort of, it's where the three of them overlap. Mm -hmm. And so when you go through training, you get a lot of law. And when you go through training, you get a lot of law enforcement training. And when you go through training, you get some medical training. Now, I don't want to mislead anybody. I'm not a doctor, mm -hmm. um, but I have had anatomy three times now. Um, <laughs> and so you do go through some medical courses, but that may be different now that forensics is so specialized. Right. Um, because if you're going to, if you're going to be an evidence technician, there may not be any need for you to. Uh, you know, go through an anatomy course. So I don't know, but yes, when I went through, I, I, I had some medical 
that's that's interesting. Yeah, you, uh, well, that's a, that's just fascinating, man. I I feel like I could get off on a few tangents. I uh, like I I want to start drilling down. Like what? So what specifically did you take? Uh, but I'm not going to ask you any of that stuff because that's some of that may be trade secret for all I know. <laughs> and you keep saying that you uh, that you, you know back in that that time that it was all different. That wasn't necessarily that long you make it sound like it's 50 years ago but that how how long ago was yeah this? well i was pre-law and order so <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah so um i went through school in uh 19 oh gosh i have to think now 1995 so okay how long ago that was that doesn't seem long to me like i'm i'm That's out of high so school cool. at that point yeah, exactly. Of course, yeah. I have people in the office that are, you know, have, have legit jobs and I'm like, you look 12. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So if you weren't doing the, uh, this, the forensic stuff, what do you think you'd be doing right now? Well, um, before forensics, which was a million years ago, I, I had an economics degree and I was doing filing in Korea. So I have no idea how to answer that question. <laughs> Yeah, I think if if, the, if if that description were uh, placed upon me right now, I'd be moldering in a grave somewhere because I think I would have blown my head off. <laughs> uh, and stop saying '95 was a million years ago, man. That's not. <laughs> Listen, I've got the grade to prove it. So. <laughs> I got some. I've started. Um, I blame my wife for it. I've got gray going in my. I'm, I'm actually going to blame your wife for mine too. So do it. Do it. She can take it. She's tough. She has to deal with me all day long. She's tough. She can take it. So, okay. Um, well, I don't, so I'm kind of getting, we're getting towards uh, where I told you we would cut off. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, and we still got the after show. I want to do the after show with you. I've already got it for the first time ever. I've got a question in mind. Uh, so, but what uh, I did, I did want to ask before we wrap up here, like, what is it? Um, what are some of the go-to tools that you use? Like, you know, when you see this on TV, uh, there's like people carry around like a computer lab with them or something. Like what, what, what are the basic tools or what's the go-to primary tools that you would use at a crime scene, for example? Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to get to your, your, I'm going to get you, to the actual answer to your take, question. Take the but, route you want, man. But I, I am, I'm about to take a route. So you may need to buckle up. Um, so, when you're talking about TV or you're talking about novels or movies or any sort of fiction, um, I, I have to be very clear with the people that I sit down and, and give my lessons to. And that is when you write your book, you are the God of that universe. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you deem that there's going to be a tree there, boom, there's a tree there, right? You, you literally are the power of that universe and you make the rules. And so as long as you are consistent with the rules you make for your universe, pretty much anything can work. Now, if you are going to say that your book is realistic, that what does realistic mean? Because if you were to write about what I do on a daily basis, although I have some very cool stories, I have some interesting cases, I like to impart some fun knowledge, if you were to write about my day-to-day -day and how I investigate a case, you're really going to put your audience to sleep, okay? So you've got you've to find that balance. And so when you say, what, what do people bring with them? They do have stuff they bring to, say, a crime scene kit or if they're respond, responding to a crime. And that's literally what it's called, a crime scene kit, okay? And 
depending on what their job is and depending what their responsibilities are, that determines what's in that kit. That kit could have the evidence markers, the evidence tape, uh, evidence bags. Uh, it, it could have um, fingerprint powders. Mm-hmm. It, it could have uh, a disposable camera, but that's really going away now that everybody has phones that has cameras on them. But right. um, it could be a, a plethora of things. Or if your job is blood spatter analysis, you may not have any of those and you just may have the rulers that you need and the string equipment that you need and, and that sort of thing. So it depends. But in, in the different worlds of fiction, one of the balances you as authors have to make is you've got to limit the number of characters you put on a page. Mm-hmm. See, in the real life, we have the, the evidence technician, the lead investigator, uh, perhaps their boss, the onlookers, the, the, the fire people, the EMTs, uh, a whole slew of people that are on a crime scene. Mm-hmm. By the time you're done naming all those people and telling the reader who they are, they're lost. And so what happens in fiction is they take all those people and they compress them down to one person so that one person does everything. And they do that because they have to. You have to. The reader's not going to stay with you. And you also have to have a reason for your character to have the knowledge of every single aspect that he or she has. And right. so for, for her to be a part of everything, she has to be the agent or the law enforcement person for every single process. And so all these jobs are brought into one. And so that's why it's hard to sort of answer that question because the real answer is she would have everything she needs in a go kit. And that go right. kit is ready at a, at, at a moment's notice and depending on what your character does in your universe, in your book, that's what she would have in that bag. So okay. that, that's my non-answer. <laughs> no, man, that's a, that's a thorough answer. It's not, there's nothing non about that. Uh, okay, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And, and you're right. And I'm glad you put it that way because what that does is open up, uh, well, it, it sort of explains or I guess uh, apologizes for, in a way, um, a, a concession that we do have to make as writers, which is, you know, we've got, we've got to keep the reader in the middle of the action and we generally have a single point of view that that reader's following. So we always have to have a way to naturally get the, that point of view into that, those various scenarios. So that makes perfect sense to me, man. Perfect. <laughs> Maybe I lost everybody else I was talking to. Hey, as long as you and I are connecting, Kevin, we're That's all right. It, That's it. We're, yeah. All right. Half the time, I think I'm the only one listening to the show anyway. So uh, maybe, uh, maybe I just explained it to myself. All right. Well, hey, um, I really appreciate you being on uh, once again. Thank you so much for, uh, for being a guest on the show, man. Absolutely. Thank bringing you. Bringing all this knowledge. Uh, all right, everybody. Now you, right this second, probably, are hearing that groovy theme music. It, you can dance in place at will, but if you'll hang out, You'll hear some industry news. You'll get some other uh, tidbits and uh, facts and information uh, for sure to love. So you stick around, and I'm going to stick around with my, my new friend Jeff Simon here, and uh, we're going to have a little wordslinger after show. So see you all on the other side of this break. Hear your book the way it was meant to be heard, with a fully custom soundtrack based on your material, an album of music that perfectly fits your characters, your settings. Hear your book today. Sonatainscribe.com. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jeff Simon. I, um, I he's one of my favorite people. I have to be honest with you, and I loved. I was able to run into him at uh, Nink and his husband as well, and that was uh, that was a great time. Um, and I just I really enjoy the books. The books are a great resource. They're something that uh, I keep on my shelf. I, I, you can't see it behind me right now, but. There's a uh, there's a shorter shelf uh, back there next to my chair, my my uh, what I consider my reading slash napping chair, uh, and there's a, a collection of those books plus a few other resources that I I turn to occasionally uh, to kind of give me a little bit of uh, insight as I write my thrillers. Um, I think you, every every author should have a collection like this. You should you should start kind of branching out, looking around, seeing what resources are out there. Build your library. Um, now, this can be a physical library, a digital library, or both. Um, mine is both. I have resources that are uh, that I actually have in both digital and print form. For example, uh, these these books, uh, Jeff Simon's books. I have both the uh, the Kindle versions and the uh, print versions because I uh, can read them on the go and thumb through them quickly when I need to here at home. Um, plus, I keep some notes in the Kindle version that I can quickly reference. So uh, just handy to have that sort of thing. You should consider what you have uh, for resources. Um, other ways that I kind of organize resources like this, I, I keep uh, some files in Trello, which I've talked about before. Uh, this is where I do like article clipping. Uh, I remember way back when I first started writing fiction, uh, I started studying like Writer's Digest and things like that. Um, this is when I was a kid, by the way, <laughs> but, uh, I remember reading an article one time that recommended keeping a file of, uh, magazine and newspaper clippings that, that caught your attention. And I, I, I think I probably took sort of the wrong lessons from this sort of thing, but, uh, cause I would just start collecting, you know, all kinds of things. Uh, really, I guess I didn't take the wrong lesson from it. I just, I wasn't really sure what I was going to be writing. Um, and so I just clipped anything that I thought was interesting and that I thought was fun. Uh, and, and a lot of that stuff couldn't be turned into stories per se. Uh, but it did sort of feed my imagination. It was interesting to have this collection of stuff that I could just thumb through anytime I want. And these days, I do something similar with Trello. Uh, so instead of uh, clipping things out of actual magazines or newspapers, which I really don't have on hand as much anymore. Um, I clip them from the web and I, or I'll drop them into uh, Trello. Um, I do this, you know, people share things on Facebook, they share things on Twitter. So I find a lot of stuff that way. I subscribe to some things. And a good example of this, I'm sorry, I'm kind of hiccup burping here. I'm sorry about that. I know that's gross, but, uh, <laughs> We're going to gloss past it. Um, anyway, <clears throat> I uh, I subscribe to like publications like uh, the uh, Archaeology Magazine and, and uh, some related uh, journals. I subscribe to a lot of scientific journals, archaeology journals, anthropology stuff. Um, I uh, am subscribed to things like uh, Atlas Obscura. Um, to uh, all these, you know, sort of history-related things. That's good. Uh, but I also tend to f uh, go and find clips on quantum physics, on forensics. Uh, if I read an article about an interesting, uh, you know, uh, criminal case, I'll clip that. Uh, and when I say clip, I mean I'll link and grab it <laughs> and drop it into Trello in a special board I've created. 
that is all um, content that I can mine later. Um, a lot of this content, by the way, especially the, his, the historical stuff, uh, it ends up being used in this this other side project I've been working on called Written World. And uh, I, I've talked about this before too, I believe, but uh, just, to, just to rehash it a little, I'm a big fan of recycling and repurposing things. And that includes content. Um, so what I what I tend to do is I'll find something, like say a uh, an article um, about some historic event that catches my attention, something I think is odd and quirky enough that might be interesting to others. And now this is usually in the name of research for one of my books. Um, but even if I'm just kind of casually observing the web, <laughs> or I'm standing in line reading reading an article uh, uh, while waiting to check out with my groceries or something, um, I'll I'll come across these little tidbits. So that immediately goes into any research I, I'm that may be applicable for the books. Uh, but then I've I've got it. It's sitting there. It's it's going unused now. Um, so I've started going through that. And I then expanding on researching that topic uh, a little more thoroughly, and then I'll write these little essays that go into my um, emails to my newsletter. Now, I did an interview last night, <clears throat> and uh, shout out to Roland Denzel who uh, wh who sat in on that. Thank you for the support, sir. Uh, but I did an interview that was about uh, using Facebook, Facebook pages, and that sort of thing, and. Uh, I wanted to throw this in here because I talk a lot about newsletters, but you can do the same thing with your social media presence, especially with Facebook. Uh, T.S. Paul also sat in on that um, interview last night and said uh, he had pointed out in the, the comments that he has six um, Facebook pages and 5,000 followers, um, and he does not have a newsletter. <laughs> so he makes all his sales and he has his following he has his community built up around facebook now i personally think that's a dangerous play just because facebook can change its terms of service anytime it wants it controls your access to these people um someone may report you for something you didn't even think was offensive and suddenly you're you know locked out of facebook your account can be compromised in a number of ways so i i don't personally recommend um relying entirely on Facebook for your interaction with your readers. Um, but you can, and it does, it, I know a few authors who don't even have newsletters who are doing very well. So uh, that said, <laughs> the content strategy that I like to use um, is to repurpose content that I've used in elsewhere. So uh, I've got the research for the book, and then I turn that into a short essay that I send to my reading list or to my Facebook uh, followers. Um, that gives me some feedback and gives you know gets people excited. It's con it's free content, but it's free and strategic. Something you're going to hear me talk about a lot in the <laughs> months and years to come. But it's uh, it's 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 free strategic content. That content is related to my fiction, um, so it's it it helps me vet the reader a little. I know that people who read this stuff and enjoy it are going to be likely to enjoy my books. And I can remind them of that. Uh, and then, well, now that I have that content, I've sent it to my readership, um, <clears throat> I go ahead and read and record that right here, using this microphone and that camera. Uh, I record that, and then 
um, my good friend Nick Thacker, who uh, is uh, who founded uh, Sonata and Scribe. Um, you heard the commercial between the interview and this segment, um, and that his his business is to create um, musical scores for anything really, but particularly for authors and their their work. He's created a score for my Dan Kotler books. He is uh, creating original scores for each of the episodes of what I'm going to call um, the Written World. Now, this is going to be a fun podcast. Uh, I've got I've, I've been pulling it together bit by bit. It takes a lot more time to produce than this show. Um, a higher production value, we'll say. <laughs> uh, but I'm doing some really interesting things with this, and I think you're going to enjoy it when I do launch it. Now, this is going to be a reader-facing podcast, and uh, it's it's coming off of repurposing this existing material. So now, you know, so the progression is I stumble across a story. I use it as research for a book. I take that story and I repurpose it as an essay for my reading list. I take that uh, essay and I read it so that I can record it and use it for a podcast, which will also have a video uh, version. And, uh, and then I release that. Now at the end of a season, I'm going to compile all those, the, all the podcasts into an audiobook and all the blog posts it, because uh, there will be an accompanying blog to this this podcast the show notes of that podcast will be a transcript of the podcast which conveniently I wrote before the podcast was recorded how about that uh so there will be a transcript uh and I'll combine all those into an ebook and uh, and a print book at the end of a, a season and there are two more products I can put out and they are uh reader facing so as I push them out there, um, I have calls to action to point people to my fiction, which, uh, you know, gives them, gives the reader someplace to go as time goes by. My hope is I'll produce a whole bunch of these seasons and I'll, <clears throat> I'll do the same thing I do with my fiction. I'll cascade from one to the other, tell people, Hey, uh, if you like this book, uh, book two is coming out, book three, book four, season one, season two, season three. However, I end up doing this. Uh, but I'll also always include links to where readers can find my thrillers because that is the work of my life. That's the stuff I love to do. So you can see how um, this whole thing, <laughs> it's its all nice. I, I love well-oiled machines, and this is good. I'm getting this. I'm refining this as I go. Trello plays a big part in this sort of thing because it helps me organize, helps me, uh, I can put you know, dates on things, uh, you know, due dates and that sort of thing. So I get reminders. I can attach my research um, to a to a uh, story uh, so that I've got my links and I can, you know, that way when I do the blog post, if I want, I can include a series of links for more information about that topic, which I I do plan to do. So this is, uh, this is a great way to keep all that organized and uh, it allows me to reuse and repurpose the, this existing content that uh, will help, hopefully help me grow my publishing business. So I have great confidence in this idea, but I'm also prepared to just do it for the fun of it, if I, if need be. One moment, I'm going to take a sip of this water. Ooh. Ah. <laughs> I get a very dry mouth when I'm talking to you guys. So um, that's, uh, that's how that's going. Um, and uh, I think you should look around... Find ways to use your content as much as possible and as often as possible. 
Um, whether you use Facebook or an email list or both, um, you should aim to be uh, personable and accessible to that audience. And you should aim to provide them with as much value as you can in a strategic way. So that idea, and I, I have a guest coming up that I, that I spoke with, um, and uh, she, was, she introduced me to this idea of being generous but strategic. <clears throat> and uh, I think this is a brilliant idea. Being generous meaning you create content that ne- doesn't necessarily get you a paycheck, right? Um, we hear a lot, you know, uh, about people who are sort of protesting the idea of writing for free, producing content for free, uh, exposure doesn't pay your bills. This is absolutely true. And if you're, if someone has approached you and said, I'd really like you to create content on our behalf, um, there really should be a discussion about how you're going to be compensated for that. And if the, if the only compensation they're willing to offer is exposure, then it's going to, it's going to be up to you to weigh that exposure against your other needs. Because it is potentially very useful to you um, to gain access to some entity's audience. There can be some value there. But you need to define the terms. So this is, and this is where I think the real negotiation comes in. Because <laughs> I know uh, like guys like Will Wheaton and uh, a whole lot of others uh, just, just tore into like Huffington Post over you know, basically sticking to their policy of they don't pay for content. Um, I've kind of fallen on that bandwagon a few times, but I've been rethinking some things. And I think uh, HuffPost, I do think that they should offer something more in return. They can be a little demanding of their content creators, but then they also give you almost free access once you're in. Once you've actually uh, produced content for them, um, then you can pretty much c- produce content for them with uh, you know, complete autonomy. Um, so there is there is an advantage there. <laughs> um, they're going to have some restrictions. They may take down some of your content. There may be problems, but for the most part, the way I've experienced this in the past and with people I've talked to in the past, um, once you're in, they give you access and you just have access. You just go publish. Uh, so if you think about it, uh, they're kind of giving you the keys to the car and, uh, sure you got to show first some, some folks every now and then, but you still got the car, (laughs) um, medium, by the way, you has no gatekeepers and you get essentially the same access and, and, uh, pretty close to the same reach. So, um, I always recommend people use medium as much as possible. I haven't been using it as much as I should lately. But uh, I need to rethink that I and mean, get back to that. So um, you might consider, even though sometimes uh, it is annoying when no one ever wants to pay writers for, for their work, uh, but you might consider how you can leverage the opportunity before you just flat out say no. Just, um, we need to get away from being outraged and offended by default and instead be strategic and thoughtful. And uh, so there are times when it it behooves you to go ahead and produce free content. But in exchange for that, you should have a lot more control over that content. So by that, I mean um, you should be able to put in a a blurb at the end, a bio that includes links to your website. Some some of these sites will be pretty strict on how many links can appear in that. Um, You can push back on that. 
tell them, okay, look, I will produce this free content, but I need two links. I need two URLs. And if you only allow me to have one, um, you know, then maybe you should pay me. <laughs> or something, you know, don't be an ass about it. But you you can push back a little. And if they still say no, just consider, okay, what's, I would ask questions. <clears throat> now, what's your audience size like? How can I get demographic information on your audience? Who who are you reaching it? And, uh, you know, how many followers uh, of this specific type of content do you expect there to be? Um, how will you promote the article that I'm giving you? You know, you're producing this content for them. Um, you've got every right to know this stuff. And if they refuse to give it to you and if they get kind of snotty with you, which I've had happen, um, consider not doing it. Be polite about it. Say, look, this isn't fit with my strategy. Um, if I'm going to give you free content in exchange for exposure, then I at least need to know how that exposure is working. You're offering to pay me an exposure, so I need to know who we're reaching and how. <laughs> so that's a perfectly reasonable request. Um, there, there's this fear, by the way, that uh, if you turn down work, then that's it. It's this sort of FOMO idea, fear of missing out. Um, if you turn down this opportunity, you're never going to get another opportunity. You're blacklisted. You'll get a reputation. Maybe. Could happen. If Depending on who you're turning down uh, and how public it, public it is. Uh, but if you're polite and professional, there's usually not going to be a problem there. I think approaching every situation as a professional is the best policy. So, you know, don't curse anybody out. Don't get snide with them. Don't get rude with them. Um, you can go get rude with them privately and, uh, to your friends if you want <laughs> get into a, I have a Facebook, um, uh, group, not a group, but a, um, Facebook messenger thread that, uh, I, I belong to with a couple of other authors specifically so that we can trash the people who piss us off. <laughs> It's not public. It can't be made public, and so we are uh, uh, we are free to say whatever we want, and uh, it's a good place to vent. That's where you should do that. Not not on Twitter, not on Facebook. You know, not not live, um, <clears throat> unless these people have just really done something heinous, and yeah, you're speaking to power kind of thing. But you gotta use your own best judgment there. Um. But I think the the idea here is, by the way, the theme here is uh, using content, using uh, relationships, using and using exposure to funnel people back to something that you control, so that you can uh, make money, you know, make profit from it. Um, this is how businesses really should work. Most businesses do, because um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that that. Uh, corporations do that it that doesn't bring them any direct income but it does bring uh some brand awareness or it brings you know goodwill from the community that sort of thing you should be thinking like that how can i raise the awareness of my brand so i'm kevin tomlinson thriller author how do i uh connect the idea of thriller author to my name as often as possible to as many people as possible and uh sometimes that means Writing some free content on Medium or Huffington Post means uh, doing a whole lot of podcasts and and, uh, and appearances that I don't get paid for. Um, and I don't expect to get paid for those. I expect that to be free contributions. So again, when I'm talking to um, podcasts and others or doing, you know, going to schools and doing free uh, um, 
speaking engagements or talking to students uh, in their classrooms or whatever. I don't get paid for that nine times out of ten. Sometimes I do, but I, I typically don't get paid for that. But I get, and I don't, uh, often I'm not even allowed to, to do book sales at some of these events. But what I can do is um, add to the, uh, add to the industry, add to the community uh, something positive and put it out there that I'm here to help or put it out here that I care or put it out here that I'm a a great storyteller and that raises awareness of the brand and it helps. So as long as I'm strategic about it, smart about it, it'll be all right. You should always look at every opportunity um, in terms of how can I leverage this? Even if it's not really something I can leverage for direct sales, how can I leverage it to um, expand the reach of my platform? Um, always think about that. And sometimes you're going to make decisions for things that are purely about just doing some good in the world. You know, you don't expect to get anything out of it. You know, you can't get anything out of it, but it just, it's a good thing. It adds to your soul. Uh, that's, that's a, that's a good way to go too. So, um, you know, what I'm trying to get you to do here is think. <laughs> so, uh, and always think about, uh, when you're creating something, uh, think about how many ways you could leverage it. You know, um, I do the podcast. This podcast really doesn't make me much money. I make a little bit of money from it. Um, but what it does is it helps me to reach the community that I'm a part of. So I, I'm giving back to that community. And it allows me to uh, learn and explore myself. So I talk to these guests. I, I learn about new resources, uh, new services, new new books. In the case of uh, Jeff Simon, I'd already read these books before I had him on the show, but you know, connecting with him gives me a, a, an even greater range of resources. So there's there's a strong reason for me to continue doing the show, and that is uh, not just because it it enriches me, but also it's something I can do to give back to the community I'm a part of, and then that tends to bring me more opportunities. So there's a value right there. Um, and, uh, and it also, you know, there's some experience involved in producing this show that, that has allowed me to, uh, take on other projects successfully. So, so there's that, <clears throat> but I, I also have like five years of content on this show that if I choose, which I may, uh, I could actually repurpose into something else. Uh, and I'm considering doing exactly that. So, uh, I probably should have considered that from the beginning, but this is why I'm telling you now. Like, if you go off and you produce something else, keep in mind, hey, I may want to use this elsewhere. So how's the, what's the best way to do that? In my case, I wish I had been getting, well, it was a little difficult. Was, when I first started, it was very expensive to get uh, transcripts, very expensive and or time consuming. Uh, but I, I, I wish I had gotten transcripts all along. Now I have a way to do that. Uh, that is, uh, not as expensive and not as time consuming. So I'm thinking of, uh, running that through. Well, once I have that, boom, instant additional content that I can leverage any way I need to. So, um, so there's all that. So anyway, that's the, that's the theme of today's show. I hope, uh, hope you found something useful in that. (laughs) I, uh, this is one of my favorite things, man. I, I really, Truly enjoy uh, doing this, this kind, you know, this whole repurposing idea. This whole, you know, how many ways can I squeeze this lemon? Um, and think of all the, think of all the products 
that are out there that are, that are just based on intellectual property. I mean, I'll run you through this. And I had this idea years ago, but it's like now the technology makes this so much easier. Um, but let's just look at it. Let's say that I, I, uh, I had a plan years ago, and I may do this again. I've essentially done this. I um, have this technology, video and audio. Uh, I can do these interviews. I use Zoom.us now. I used to use uh, um, Skype with call recorder. Uh, but there's Google Hangouts. There's you know there's a hundred different ways to record a video and audio with uh, with a, an interview subject. So let's just say I line up ten people, experts in in a particular field. Um, and uh, I write out some questions and I interview them on this on these like silos of questions. So I, I write, let's say I write 20 questions and I've got four silos of questions, four different topics that I'm, that I'm covering that are within their realm of expertise. Okay, now I've got these interviews. I take those interviews and their video, right? <clears throat> and then I transcribe those. So now I have video, audio, and text of that interview so from those the, those three deliverables <laughs> those three uh resources i can create uh, a wealth of products so i can do a youtube series i can do a uh, private uh subscription only series right i can uh i've got four different categories of uh of story i'm telling here so i can I can take each interview and cut them into specific topics with multiple guests. Or I can take the individual interviews and release them as individual interviews. I've got the audio of that, so I can do podcasts and I can do audiobooks. I have the, um, the text, so I can do blog posts and I can do um, ebooks and print books. I've got... Um, uh, because I did four different topics, you know, exponentially, I have a whole range of things I can cover, and probably more more than just the four topics. There may be other things I could I could pull out of this. So you can see, I mean, I, from those ten interviews, I, I could develop hundreds of products. And uh, if my goal is take all this and and funnel all the the eyes and ears that that encounter it into this other thing like I, at the end of every episode i offer maybe some behind the scenes or extra clips or something like that that intrigues people enough to go get on a mailing list well now i've got that that mailing list and i can advertise to them anything i need to anytime i want to so um so that's what i mean i we we need to be as we are content creators that's what we are as authors we are content creators um and we already use these skills so let's be strategic about how we use them let's get as much out of this as we can we can there are so many ways we can run this there's there's probably things i haven't even thought of and believe me i think about this all the time but there's still things i didn't consider you know you can you can pull together courses you can pull together uh, a documentary like a full-length documentary uh, which can go on amazon prime or elsewhere <laughs> you know um yeah, there's just so much there. There's just so much you can do if you uh, keep an open mind about about this and be strategic about it. So anyway, um, 
I'm getting worked up. I'm getting excited. I'm good. <laughs> now, this is work, right? This is going to be hard work, and there's more to it than simply just talking it out. But there, you know, it's work worth looking into. Once you've got the idea, then you can start doing your research and figuring out, like, how do I make this happen? What do I do about, you know, there's always going to be questions like this. Like, what do I do about music for these productions? What do I do about graphics? Motion graphics and still graphics. The lower thirds that you see at the bottom of a screen that say Kevin Tomlinson, word slinger. You know, um, that's some a consideration. Like, where does that come from? How do I handle the logistics of it, such as editing? If you don't know how to do editing, um, video editing, that is, and audio editing. You know, so you may have to hire someone to, to do that. Or you may have to learn, take some courses and learn how to do that. So there's, there is some significant investment in this, but, um, you know, we can, this is a process that we can own that directly benefits us. So it isn't worth the time and energy (laughs) of doing that. So anyway, that's it. Um, if you got questions about this, if you're excited about this idea, like I am, you know, this is not new. I've been pushing this idea for years, um, and I think I'm finally at a point where I could do do this much more efficiently than I could have, say, 10 years ago. Um, and I'm already kind of pushing some buttons and getting some things going in that direction. So, uh, But if you want to talk about this, uh, hop on over to wordslingerpodcast.com, hit the contact button, or find the show notes for this episode. Um, that you know, look up, uh, use the search tool at, for at uh, wordslingerpodcast.com. Just search Jeff Simon if you want. G E O F F. S-Y-M-O-N, Jeff Simon. Uh, and uh, you can leave a comment right on this this uh, show's uh, show notes. So that's going to do it. Um, really excited about these ideas and this this whole notion. I, this, this content thing can be very lucrative all around uh, in a number of ways. It can be directly lucrative or it can just funnel traffic to your, your, your books, your fiction, your nonfiction, whatever it is you write. Uh, if you are, by the way, a public speaker and you're doing this stuff, you're writing books uh, to support your public speaking, you should definitely be considering this. <laughs> this plays right into your strategy and can actually get you more speaking gigs. Trust me on this. I've actually gotten speaking gigs just because of some of the content I've created. So um, great strategy. So that said, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. We're at 30 minutes plus. So. Uh, for the, just this segment. Uh, so who knows how long this episode is, but, uh, I hope you're taking care of yourselves. Uh, I know I missed last week. I was in Oklahoma city. If you are a listener from Oklahoma city, uh, or from Oklahoma Christian fiction writers, hello. Uh, I had a wonderful time talking to you. God bless each of you. You were, you were amazing. Um, but I had neglected to take the hard drive with my, um, interview footage on it. So I wasn't able to, uh, even though I had my gear with me, I wasn't able to produce an episode last week. So I apologize for missing that. Uh, I didn't really realize it until I sat down to do it (laughs) and I could have probably made it work with some of the remote stuff I have, but, uh, it would have been very challenging. So, um, at any rate, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have a wonderful weekend, uh, another week ahead. I know we're coming in tax season. Uh, so God bless you on that. <laughs> so, take care of yourselves out there and I will, I will see you all next time. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Wordslinger podcast. Now you can support this show by visiting wordslingerpodcast.com. 
That's where you're going to find back episodes, books by me, and links to anything and everything Wordslinger. And be sure to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and anywhere else fine podcasts are sold. I'm Kevin Tomlinson. Thanks for tuning in. We'll check you next time. Wow.